to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Are you ready? All right, take your Bibles, go to Psalm 35. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for continuing to open our eyes to the things of the Spirit and the things of the kingdom. Father, I give you praise and worship for what you're doing on the inside of each and every person at Treasure Coast Victory Center. Go ahead, Holy Ghost, have your way. We love you, we praise you, we give you the glory for everything that you're doing in our lives and in this body. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 35, we're going to tie together now the healing that we've been talking about along with the kingdom. Psalm chapter 35, look at verse 27. It says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So this is talking about a kingdom person. It's talking about someone who's born into the kingdom. Basically, it's one who favors his righteous cause. We know that the kingdom basically is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now notice, not joy in money, not joy in health, not joy in things, but joy in what? The Holy Ghost. So the joy in the Holy Ghost basically is when the anointing is in operation on the inside of you. We found out the word actually operates with the Spirit of God on the inside of us. So righteousness basically means you are now in a right position with God, right alignment with the kingdom of God and its laws. So basically you are in a position to receive all the kingdom benefits that have been promised to you. How many of you know healing is one of those benefits? So here it says we should shout for joy and say the Lord be magnified which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Notice prosperity whether it's in finances or health or peace or joy or any of those things it's God's idea. Prosperity was always God's idea. The church years ago and some denominations still teach their people that God takes joy in poverty. Basically, they take something called a poverty vow just to try to please God. And they say that poverty basically equals holiness. But if that's true, then God isn't very holy because he's a pretty prosperous guy, praise God. So hallelujah, glory to God. But the word says God takes pleasure in your prosperity. Now, why does God want you to prosper? Well, you are here on assignment, basically, to extend the kingdom of God. That's why you're here. And basically, to do that, how many know that you have to prosper in every area of your life? You need to prosper in the word. You need to prosper in your soul, especially in your soul. You need to prosper in health. You need to prosper in finances and all these things if you're going to complete what the kingdom of God wants you to do while you're here. So God takes pleasure in your prosperity, not in poverty. He desires all his people to prosper. And this the scripture we started with a long time ago that basically says that that you prosper as your soul prospers. So notice prosperity has to do with your soul. It doesn't really have to do that much with your physical body even as healing does. If you're prospering in your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, you will prosper in your body at the same time. We see physical sickness and disease and we want to attack the physical realm. It doesn't have that much to do with it. It came because of a soul problem. Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 6. a very, very revealing kingdom episode here. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, ye of little faith? 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Whither all shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles or the pagans seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now this right here basically is a shocker the first time you read it because Jesus basically blows your mind with these scriptures. I mean, basically we're, when we're in the world, our priority was we need food to eat. We need some place to live. We need stuff to wear. This is what we're here for. That's the battle. If you got that stuff, you're successful. If you don't have that stuff, you're not successful. You're poor. This is what all mankind thinks about. This is what everybody thinks about. That's why we go to work and work 60 hours a week. What, so we can have food to eat, so we can have stuff to drink, so we can do this, so we can do that. And basically what it does basically is has our attention or our priority on the wrong thing. It has it on things we want to acquire rather than the purpose that he gave us, which is in verse 33, you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things then that you were worried about fighting for will be added unto you. Now, you can see this playing out in a lot of different things. If you look at the elections that come around, what are the elections about? Well, you've got politicians who promise you these things. They promise you better jobs. They promise you more money. They promise you a better way of life. They promise you food and clothing and housing will become yours. Why do they promise that? Because they know you need them, and they know also that you will vote for them if they offer you this stuff. So every politician knows you need a job, you need money, you need clothes, you need a house. So they promise it to get elected. But if they don't produce, how many know the next election cycle they get voted out? Because somebody else comes in and promises the same thing and they didn't deliver. So the church basically, a lot of times in different circles, serves God for these things. I love you, Lord. Give me a house. I love you, Lord. Please write me a check. I finally went to church Sunday and Wednesday, so you owe me. Now bless me, God. And this is the way our thinking goes. A lot of times we go to church to qualify for God to do something for us. What are we doing? We are just using God to get these things rather than seeking God first. So we just use God and the church to pursue things. Most Christians use their faith and prayer time to get these things. Most Christian prayers are for things that we just mentioned here. Lord, I need a new car. Lord, I need a new house. Lord, I need a better job. Lord, I need money in the prayer time. But notice what Jesus says here. Don't even worry about these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, because it will not, don't reduce your, your life, earthly life to things that you think you need to survive. If you do, then the government will be able to manipulate you. Your boss will be able to own you, and people will be able to control you. So we've got to get off that. That was one of the things I dealt with for quite a while because when you're raised up, I mean, that's, that's all you live for, isn't it? You want to live to make money so you have stuff, so you do this, so you do that. And then Jesus comes along and changes the whole thing and says, don't even worry about that. Well, what am I going to worry about? My whole life I spent worrying about that stuff. I'm out of stuff to worry about now if you take that away from me. You're stealing all my worry. So Jesus says, stop worrying, concerning yourself with these things. Stop seeking these things. And why do we stop worrying about these things? Because if we seek these things, it causes us to worry and stress out over them. And then we will not prosper in our health. Sickness is on the rise, even in the church, all over the place. It's not a devil problem. Some people say it's a food problem. It's sort of a food problem. But I'll tell you, the big problem in the church is a worry problem. Sometimes I think the devil says, why does everybody blame me? Because it's not him. He can't even take credit for it. It's because we're worried and we're stressed out. It, because we're seeking the wrong things. We're seeking worldly things. We are not living the kingdom lifestyle. We are not favoring his righteous cause and staying in right alignment with him. To stay in right alignment with him, you are trusting him to supply all these things simply because he said he would supply all these things. Now, it was, I don't know how many years ago, basically, probably about 15 years ago when everything fell apart for a while. Remember that back 2009, 2010, everything went, stock market fell down, people lost all their jobs, people foreclosed on their houses. It was on the news every time you turned it on, every time you looked something up, everybody's gone down the tubes, it's terrible, it's whatever. And at that time, basically, you know, if you watch that stuff, you get in the middle of it. And all at once, I'm going to prayer, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, the jobs. Oh, Lord, the foreclosed houses. Oh, Lord, 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 the stock market. And God said, stop. I mean, sometimes he'll stop you. And he says, uh, are they going to take your house? And I said, no, I guess it's paid for, so they can't hardly come take my house. 
He said, how about your job? Well, I said, I got two of them right now. I'm working for the post office and I'm pastoring this time. So the, he said, what about the stock market? I said, well, I ain't really got any money in that. And he says, well, what are you worrying about? And I think, what the heck am I worrying about? What am I doing here? He had to show me basically at that time that I was thinking about the wrong things and worrying about things I didn't have to be worried about whatsoever. Here it says, your life is more than food. It's more than clothes. Yet some of us think about food in the middle of breakfast, what we're going to eat for lunch all the time. Come on, you drive up and down US 1 out here, you see four churches and 50 places to eat. Why is that? Because people think more about food than about the things of God and about church. He says, don't think about your clothes, your shoes, your design, or whatever, because life is more than these things. Many times we spend our whole life worrying about what to wear to church rather than getting in the Word and getting ready for church. That's because we've been conditioned to do this stuff. We've been conditioned to get into things of the natural realm. You can live your whole life, get close to the end of your life, and realize that all the stuff, things you got is just a bunch of nothing. But you acquired it and felt good while you were doing it and felt like you were really famous and nice because you were succeeding, but you really weren't. So how do I know if I'm outside kingdom thinking? How do I know? Well, I'm worrying. How do I know if I'm worrying? Look at verse 31. Therefore, take no thought what? Saying. Say, take no thought saying. If I'm worrying about what to eat, what to wear, what to do, sooner or later it's going to get in my mouth and I'm going to start talking about it. I'm going to start talking about lack. I'm going to start talking about sickness. I'm going to talk about it. So the worry is going to get out of my mind and into my mouth. One of the deadliest things in church right now, I think, is worry. It's stress and it's over money and it's over things that we think we need and think we got to have. And many times we overlook sin of worry. I mean, you catch somebody smoking a cigarette, and boy, you're all over them. You catch them in a bar, and boy, you want to shake your finger at them and tell them to shape up. But boy, oh boy, you can worry all day long, and nobody cares. It doesn't make any difference. not even a sin. Well, that's the thing, basically, that will wear you down and cause your soul to be messed up, praise God. I mean, basically, worry has destroyed a lot of things. It destroyed friendships. It's destroyed marriages. It's destroyed health. And I found out in my own life, even if I pray for money, God will not give me what I pray for. He'll only give me what I can manage. Mm, yeah, that's right. I don't know why you don't give me more. What are you doing with it you got now? Well, I lost it here, and I threw it over here, and I spent that, and I, well, then that's not the way it works. He wants to give you what you can manage. So you can say, worry disconnects us from the power of God that's on the inside of us, which is the anointing. Whenever we stay in agreement with God, and we found out this Sunday, if I stay in agreement with God, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and right align with that, then all these things will be added. How? By the anointing of God that's on the inside of me. The anointing always works with agreement with God. When you're out of agreement with God, the anointing will not be working in your life. Then you'll be living in in the natural realm. So he wants to provide with you. Here he says, don't act like a pagan. What is a pagan? A pagan is somebody who worries about their things they don't have and if they're going to have enough and their bills and their finances and all these things. Basically, he said, don't act like a pagan. There's a lot of churches on Sunday morning that are full of nothing but a bunch of pagans. And it's not because they're not Christians, because they're living in this realm of worrying about everything out here in the natural realm. When he already says, if you'll just do what I tell you to do, all these things will be added unto you. Now, how many of you know this takes trust? This takes belief, doesn't it? I mean, if you're worried about these things, you're saying, God, I don't really believe verse 33. Because I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you're not going to add all things to me, so I've got to get my own things because you ain't listening to what I'm doing. But he gives us a simple thing here to do. So as long as I'm not in worry, it's going to help my physical body also because the physical body reacts to your feelings, your emotions, and the thing in there. So God never told us to pray for these things. He gave us two little instructions. Seek first the kingdom and right alignment in that kingdom, and then everything will be supernaturally added to you. Here it tells you to seek. Say seek. Seek Seek means to pursue, to study, to explore, to understand. Why do we have to seek the kingdom? Because it is completely different to the way that you've been living up to the point when you entered the kingdom of God. I mean, everything's different. Before you entered the kingdom of God, you wanted to get all the money you could. You wanted to store it up. You wanted to hang on to it. You get in the kingdom of God, and God says you want more give. Well, before you got saved, you're thinking, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. And even after you're saved, it's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. But how many know it's a spiritual law that takes place? You tithe, the windows of heaven are open, and God is pouring out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. God said that, so it's your option. You can tithe or you can not tithe, depending on that. So you make up your mind to believe God each and every time. So you have to seek the kingdom of God. And the best thing about it is, the Bible says, if you seek, you will 
you will find. Hallelujah. So there's a guarantee, isn't there? I've been seeking, seeking, seeking. I haven't found anything where you're not doing something right because he already said, if you seek, you will find. So I'm going to seek the kingdom, what it's about. I got in there. What belongs to me? What don't belong to me? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? How should I act? How should I handle my finances? How should I handle my marriage? How should I handle all these things? I do that through the word of God. You know, back in 2009, they got all the smartest economists in the United States together after the collapse, and they devised a plan that they said may or may not help this country. I mean, you know, you don't have something here that may or may not help. You've got something that's going to work because it's a kingdom thing and it's a godly thing. Look at verse 34. He says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil of them. Enough. How many know that's the truth? So he says, Stop worrying about tomorrow. God says, Relax. I've got your tomorrow under control. I've got your today under control. He says, Prepare for a good tomorrow. Expect the best for tomorrow. Worry always expects the worst. How many of you ever said, boy, I'm worried now. I own three houses now. Boy, I'm worried. I just got another big raise. I'm just so worried right now. No, you don't worry about good things. You worry about bad things. Do you worry about, how many of you ever worried about having too much money? No. So here he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry has never for you paid a bill. Worry has never saved a problem or solved a problem for you. Worry basically does nothing but raise one thing, and that's your blood pressure usually. It says sufficient unto the day. In other words, God will give you what you need for that day. The kingdom is not a storing up kingdom. It's a provide you daily kingdom. Most people worry about the future, about their tomorrow. Forget tomorrow. Too many worries are involved. God says, I will take care of you today. Well, the Bible says, this is the week that the Lord has made. No, this is the day that the Lord has made, so I will and be glad in it. He doesn't say anything about worrying at all. Most can't rejoice and be glad today because they're worried about tomorrow. The disciples were told to pray. Give us today our weekly bread. No, give us today our daily bread. God will provide for you today. And really, you don't need tomorrows until tomorrow becomes today, and then you've got today's until the next tomorrow, and then you've got today again. So God's responsible for that stuff to take care of it. Just seek first the kingdom of God, and I will take care of everything for you. Uh, type in chat on the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was with the people, and basically they got out in the desert, and they got mad at him because they didn't have any food, didn't have anything to drink, so they hollered at him. And God says, no problem, I'm going to send you something called manna. And that man is going to come to you in the morning. And you are to go out and gather up what you need in the morning. But don't take anything extra because if you do, it turns into rot. So basically they went out. What do they do? Every morning they picked up what they needed. And notice people say, well, I got, I got four kids. Well, how many know back then? It don't matter if you had two kids, four kids, ten kids, or twenty kids. You went out and he provided for you every single day. Didn't matter how big your family was. He took care of it at that time. And basically, and now what does he tell you not to... How many know he wants us to have a bank account? He wants us to have more money than, than just what we give and all that stuff. But he don't want you putting your trust in the storehouse. He wants you to keep your trust. Whenever you start putting your trust in the storehouse, you better give something away. And get your trust back where it goes because your storehouse can be gone just like that. But your trust in God is there all the time, praise God. And he can supply every single day. So a storehouse is okay, just don't let it become your God. So many people then are living outside the kingdom of God. They never have enough. They're stressed, which makes them sick. Some Christians, when they give, I mean, George Washington's crying because they're squeezing him so hard as they put him in the bucket. Praise God. If you depend on your job, the government, or the economy, or your bank account, the stock market, all could collapse in a matter of seconds. You're in trouble. But if you're in the kingdom of God, you will always have enough. He will take care of you today if you will stop worrying about tomorrow. He will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory. The kingdom culture is worry-free. Hallelujah. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And once again, the best way you can get rid of this stuff is by coming up with the confession that you start to use as a everyday thing. Uh, my, mine was my days of worry are over forever. So every time I started to worry a little bit, it'd pop up in me. The Holy Ghost, how many know that's in agreement? And it'd come up on the inside of me and I'd say, uh-uh, 
I can't worry because my days of worry are over forever. And something bad happens in the church or in my life or somebody around me and you're starting to get in that place. And there's that Holy Ghost saying, what do do we say here? We say, my days of worry are over forever. I'm the most patient man in the world. I'm saying all these things. And what's it doing? It's allowing the power of God on the inside of me, the anointing, to walk in that because it's a spiritual reality that God has done in my life. So you come up, whatever you're having, if you have an anger problem, just say you never get angry. I never get angry. I never get angry. And you go, and then here it comes. I never get angry. And sometimes you'd rather get angry than say that. But the Spirit of God on the inside of you, that's what he does. He brings to remembrance the things that you drill in there on the inside. It'll get in there as you say it all the time, like a song you hear. Do you ever hear a song sometime and you couldn't get it out of your head? You heard it at 8 o'clock in the morning. You're still singing at 8 o'clock at night. And people say, why are you singing that? And you'll say, I don't know. It's just sing it. I'm not even thinking about it. It becomes on the inside of you as something that pops up when you need it. It's like a shield. Remember the shield of faith blocks how many fiery darts? All the fiery darts that come into my life. So I'm the most patient man in the world. My days, my bad, I have no more bad days. I never have any more bad days. I started saying that years ago. So I don't have a bad days. Plus it tells me that this is the day the Lord has made. I'm not supposed to worry or have a bad day. I'm supposed to rejoice and be glad in it. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 6. It says, But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. How many know that's the truth? Now, if you read the context of this, what was going on here, basically, there was a wealthy church taking up an offering for a poor church. Which one would you rather be? I'd rather be the wealthy church, giving to the poor church. That's right. (laughs) So Paul writes, if you sow sparingly, if you give God what you can spare, come on, this is for the light bill. This is for my brand new dress. This is for my new shoes. This is for me to eat out this week. And let's see, I got 35 cents left for God. So I'm going to spare that and I'm going to give it to God in the offering. If you get what you can spare, it's not righteous kingdom thinking. Do you follow that? Notice, the kingdom of God comes where? First, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So, so bountifully or generously, it says. Look at verse 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. Now, how many know that goes against your natural mind? I mean, you're doing that for a penance. You're doing that because God tells you to and you don't want to until you get the revelation of it. So here basically says you sow bountifully or generously. And generosity is not an amount. It's a heart condition. You know, remember the woman with the little mite who came and that's all she gave, but yet it was good because she had the right heart condition. So giving becomes a heart condition. When does it do that? It becomes that when you take on the identity of God because God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when you convince yourself that you're a giver, it'll be easy for you to give. When you convince yourself you're a miser, it'll be very hard for you to let go of anything in your life. And one thing you've got to understand, too, in this world, you don't own anything anyway. God owns everything. God owns your house. He owns your car. He owns everything. And whatever you have, you're just renting. I mean, you know, I'm not going to live in my house another hundred years. You got some years left. Somebody else is going to be living in your house. Somebody else is going to have your car. Somebody else is going to have your money before it's over with. That's just the way it works. So basically, those are things that belong to God that basically we are using at this time. So if God tells you to give his money to somebody else, it shouldn't be so hard to do unless you think it's your money and God's taking it away from you. But he's not taking it away. He's doing by law what will happen where you can have more. So it says generosity is not an amount. It is a heart condition the woman with the two mites, it's not an amount, it's a heart that wants to give. If you have to struggle to give, then you're probably still worrying about your finances and worrying about your money. That's the kingdom culture. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. God is a giver. He's given you everything. Look at verse 7. Every man, how many? Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. says, let him give. No, don't give reluctantly. You don't give under compulsion. You don't give under pressure. 
There's some churches I've been in all, already and other churches in different places that basically do things that pressure people in their congregation to give. Whenever you do that, you have stepped out of the kingdom of God and you're now operating under the curse and putting that whole curse under it. One of the things that some churches do it when they need money to build or do something like that, they do pledges. What is a pledge? A pledge is the amount of money you pledge to give to that church that you don't have, but you're supposed to believe God to get it so that you can give to them and fulfill your pledge for them. Are you following me? The only problem with pledges is if it really works, then why don't the church just give? Just a thought. Practice what you preach. See? Oh, if you give, if you make the pledge, if you, I've seen this in other churches. We saw it in Benny Hinn up there. There was somebody we knew who, who got all excited about it, and God's going to do this, and God's going to do that. And she pledged like $10,000, and she didn't have nothing. Well, you know, a year later, she still didn't have nothing, and she wouldn't couldn't give it and didn't have it and it turned into a, a nightmare for her and she didn't want to go to the church anymore because every time she did she felt guilty I don't have any money to give and I made the pledge and I made the pledge and we just told her you shouldn't have made the pledge get rid of the pledge you didn't pledge nothing you don't pledge anything you give from your heart what you want to give there shouldn't be a pledge or anything else so don't give grudgingly praise God you give out of your heart or else you'll end up living in guilt and how many know guilt and condemnation is not good for your health there's no worse feeling I don't think in guilt for gosh sakes. So you're guilty. So we don't want to do that. So basically, what is the saying here? You don't give grudgingly. You don't give sparingly. You give sparingly and you sow bountifully and you will reap what? Bountifully. So it's talking about giving. But it's just not talking about giving money here. It's talking about giving time. It's talking about giving your talents. It's talking about giving everything that you've got, basically, that God has given you. How many know there's a lot of people out there who have talents who are misusing those talents, so they're not giving of those talents? There's a lot of singers out there, I'll tell you right now, who are wonderful singers, but they're singing the wrong song. There's a lot of people, speakers, but they're speaking the wrong words. Do they have a gift? Yes. Are they speaking? Yes. Are they speaking the right thing? No. So they're not giving at all. They're not using their talent. So sooner or later, something's going to happen there where something's going to fall apart, and that's going to be it in their lives. So basically, what do we do? We can give. If you can, if you can do something, give. If you've got a neighbor who needs something, give. If somebody needs food, you cook it, and you give. You do whatever you need. All that is part of a giving heart. But, but you come to a point to where you're almost looking for someone to give to. I mean, in your heart, you're running to people who need this, and you just do it sometimes before they even ask you that they need it, even before, you know, God will speak to you and say, hey, give that person this or that. And sometimes you give them something, you know. And I remember when I first, you know, got saved, and there was somebody in the post office I was working with, and I got him and his wife, and we talked about the Lord, and they got saved and got all excited about God. And basically at that time, uh, God told me to give him my Bible. And I thought that was the devil. Had all my notes in, had all my little yellows and oranges and blues and purples. That, that, you understand, that was my Bible, praise God. And, and he said, give it to him. So I went to work the next day, and then, you know, I went up to him, and I handed him the Bible, and he took it and started jumping up and down and said, I can't believe it. You told me to pray, and God would do it. I prayed this morning for a Bible, and I got it here at work. And he was all excited and jumped up. Well, I wasn't very happy about it, I'll tell you that. But, but it, what happened, I didn't know on the other end that it was going to be a confirmation. Do you see? I was, I was thinking, he's stealing my Bible, darn it, this is ridiculous. I've got to punch him in the nose for even wanting it. <laughs> so sometimes when you're giving, you don't know. You are the answer. How many of you, if you're praying and somebody's really believing for something they need, God's not going to fly down. <laughs> send the angels down to hand you something. Like Jesse used to say, send you a dog with a bag full of money in his mouth and drop it at your doorstep. No, it doesn't work that way. It works through people who are listening to God, who hear God, who have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone, praise God. So that's what it's all about. Here it says God loves a cheerful giver. Say a cheerful giver. Now the word here is hilarious. Hilarious means to leap around with joy, excited. Like Sunday morning, where's the basket? Where's the basket? Bring that basket over here. Don't start on that road. Come over here on this side. Because you're a hilarious giver. It's funny because, you know, I talk to people who are waiters and waitresses all the time. And whenever you talk to them, I don't know why they say this. I don't even know if it's true, but they say their worst day is Sunday. Have you ever heard that? Sunday. The worst tippers are on Sunday. They all say the same thing. And all say those darn church folk. Every time they come, they, they're the worst tippers in the entire world. I'm thinking, is that the kind of reputation that we've built in the church? It's, a, it's pretty soon they're going to say, are you a Christian? Yes. Joe, take this one. I'm going to take the next one that comes in. 
I mean, it shouldn't be that way. It should be, are you a Christian? Come sit at my table because I know you're a good tipper and I know that you tip 20, 25%. And, but it's not that way. Well, a lot of them are what? Maybe they're greedy, but I mean, they get tips. You know, my wife used to waitress a long time ago and Sundays were her worst days. There's no question about it. And I don't know if it's because it was Christian. Maybe it's just because everybody was hungover from Saturday night and they didn't feel like giving on Sunday when they went out to eat. I don't know. So I can't, I can't prove that that was it, but that was the worst day basically for to get tips. So we don't want to be that. We want to be a hilarious giver. Say a hilarious giver. Hilarious. Here it says, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. So it talks about hilarious giver. It'll make all grace abound. Now what is grace? Grace is what was freely provided for you on the cross. Was finances freely provided for you? Was health freely provided for you? Was joy freely provided for you? So as you become a giver and you line up with the things of God, basically you're not going to be worrying about things. You're not going to be trying to steal things. You're not going to be trying to, I mean, everybody thinks money is the answer to everything, but you're seeing now the people with the most money are the most miserable in the whole world basically right now a lot of these people with more money and they all want more they got billions and they still want another billion for what reason I don't know they couldn't even spend it so basically what do we want to do money is not the answer praise God the Bible calls it the almighty dollar somebody calls it God says you can't serve two masters got to serve one or the other but so we don't serve one by trying to get a whole bunch of money so we get things we do it by serving God and by serving God he is responsible to add to us all these things now how many know there's a lot of different ways God can add to you I mean it may just not be money it may just be a good idea it may be an investment God wakes you up in the middle of night and say hey you need to put money there because it's going to do something and then you do it and maybe there's different ways that God will minister to you and show you how to do certain things there, there was a time back in 2012 where everything was falling apart and God said this is the time when people are foreclosing in their house my church should be buying things Amen. Sounds good, don't it? Those people who are losing this should be getting this. Those who are losing their jobs, we should be getting better jobs. Why? Because we're hooked up to the kingdom of God. We're not hooked up to the economy here, which basically strips us and makes us worry and makes us fear. Then it gets in our soul, and pretty soon we're all petrified, and it gets in our body, and all at once we're sick. Then we're going to the doctor and getting on medication. Once you're on medication, how many know you get medication upon medication upon medication upon medication? Because that's the way the world does it. So a lot of times it's not just the sickness or the disease. A lot of times it's the stress and the worry that we're under. Why? Because we're pursuing things more than we're pursuing God. And that's what we got to break that off of and go for the kingdom of God before that. And it's not an easy thing to do because, like I say, we were raised that way. That's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to, we were supposed to supply for ourselves, praise God. We take care of our family. We take care of us. Well, God wants to take care of you. And the thing is, the best part is you don't even have to pray because the Bible already says the Father knows. He knows. He already knows what you need if you stop blocking what he can give you by not receiving the grace that belongs to you. So whenever you start worrying, you've got to stop that. Whenever you start freaking out, you've got to stop that. In hard times, you know, a lot of worldly businesses fold up. We should be starting businesses at that time. That's the way that she should be. When we started this church and I was sitting in beautiful uh, Long John Silver's over here and we needed a building and I saw this building over here and God told me to buy the thing and basically uh, I talked to God about it and God said, I no longer want my people to rent off the world. I want the world to rent off my people. Well, that was something that I haven't even thought about because every church in the area was renting a little compartment out of this complex, a little out of that, a little out of this one, a little out of this one. So when we moved in here, we bought it, didn't have the money for it. Nobody had the money. We didn't have the money. The church didn't have the money. How we ever got the money to get in, I don't really understand it, but I guess they love me because I'm such a nice guy or something. So they did it, but then what happened? The world would help me. There was a guy up front who paid. He paid rent. He paid for the mortgage he paid for things so it was different instead of us paying you know there's a lot of churches out there right now with very large buildings but they're paying large mortgages see to the banks and to everybody else I don't think God wants his money to go to those places if possible not to so basically there's things in our life that we need to change we need to look at we need to really be the head and not the and the above and not the And we can be that. The Bible already has promises that in every single area of our life. So here it says, hilarious givers make all grace abound. Grace is things that are freely given to you. Sometimes they are giftings. 
how to sow, how to invest, creative ideas. So in all things, you have a lot more in all things. Notice, every idea and everything you see here came from an idea. You know, God did never created a chair and a table. He created a tree. But somebody else got the idea, hey, let's make a table and chair out of this tree and sell the thing. So they cut down the tree and they made a chair. And guess what? The chair sold and they were making money. It was always in that tree. But somebody had to get the idea to do that tree. Someplace in the Old Testament, it talks about getting oil out of a flinty rock. How many know that fracking has just come along? I mean, that could have came along 1,500 years ago. But nobody knew how to frack. But yet there, there it was in the Bible. They're getting oil out of plenty of rock. So fracking started. What are they doing? They're getting oil out of rocks, for gosh sakes, and plenty of oil. Of course, we're not allowed to do that anymore. It was a good idea back then, but uh, we've been overridden, praise God. I'm not going to go there, so don't, don't clap. Don't get all excited. Don't do anything. Let's look at that. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Now you got me going on it, praise God. Dear Lord, if I can find it, It's amazing the amount of stuff in this book yet that has not been discovered in this book yet. And we've been reading it for how long? All right, let's see if I can find this. I looked at it the other day. Look at verse 13, 32, 13. He made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Now that has been there for how long? How old is this book? Come on now. How long has it been here? So some guy must have been reading that one day and said, my God, there might be oil in these rocks. Oil in these darn rocks here. So what did he do? He started this machine. It fracks it and takes it out. How many know he's probably got some money by now out of that deal? So you can see it's a God thing even that they're stopping when they stop it. It's just not a matter of whether it's a good idea or not. God revealed that to us to use, and now it's being stopped by people who don't know God, basically. Hallelujah. Cut it out. You're going to get me kicked off the air again. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many know that God never gave uh, Adam employment? He never gave him a job, never gave him eight hours a day, never did anything else. He just survived in the garden by spending time with God and seeking first the kingdom of God and doing the things that God has. Praise God. So basically there are things out there yet, I still believe, that can be seen, can be discovered, can be where to put your money, where to do this, how to invest in that, how to do that. And God, how many we found out right off the bat, God wants us to prosper. He takes pleasure in our prosperity. So it doesn't matter if the world collapses. It doesn't matter if the economy collapses. It don't matter if gas goes up to $10 a gallon. I'm going to have enough gas for my car. It don't make any difference to me because God said, I will supply all your needs unless gas goes to $10 a gallon and then I can't afford it no more. No, no. He'll, as long as you're doing, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that would be all right. So, so the news media wants you to worry, wants you to stress, wants you to be all afraid of everything, wants you to think you're falling apart. But that's not it because that's not our source, basically. So we want to get rid of worry in our life. All right, go back to 2 Corinthians now, since you diverted me. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 8 again. It says, And God is able, how many you know he is, to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good what? Work. So notice, in all things we'll have enough. At all times we'll have enough. We're never going to go broke. We're not going to lack. And as you start worrying about it, then you cut off God from your life world's commonwealth basically is not a commonwealth at all. We're supposed to be in a commonwealth country. How many know we're not? The only ones with commonwealth are the government. They got all the wealth and it seems like they're taking it from everybody else. But the kingdom of God, when you study it out, you're going to find out it is a commonwealth. What does that mean? It means the king gives to everybody the same. He's no respecter of persons. So it's just that some 
receive from God. They're not worried. They know God's taking care of everything. They have plenty. They're those who worry all the time that cut God off from doing what he wants to do. And when they're worrying, of course, once again, it affects their physical body. So God, now, now we've got some dictators all over the world. How many of you know you cannot compare God to a dictator? You cannot compare the kings to the king because God is a righteous king. He's a loving king. He's actually a father. He wants to take care of everybody. Most governments don't want to do that. They just want what they can get. So you cannot compare the two. That's why when you talk about kingdoms, people get nervous. But our king is a loving God, a wonderful God, a God who has plenty to share with everybody, and he wants to share it down here with each and every one of us, but he cannot do it if we continue to worry and fret over things rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Remember in the Old Testament, an example too is uh, Joseph. Everything was falling apart. The Egypt economy was falling apart. Basically, and all at once, here's Joseph. Joseph knew it was coming. How did he know it was coming? Well, did he watch CNN? No. Did he watch a different station? No. He heard from the Holy Spirit. So he stores up all this stuff, and pretty soon the famine comes, and guess who they're coming to? They're coming to Joseph. Why? Because Joseph knew what was coming. Joseph followed God. Joseph did what he did. He didn't worry. He didn't fret. He knew exactly what to do. It's the same way with us. God will show you things in advance, so you are prepared for those things in advance. Hallelujah. So in the Old Testament, that's an example of what basically took place. It's a type of the church. So kingdom living is no worries. You're a giver, and you'll be sufficient in how many things? All things. So now... One thing that I learned that I, uh, that I was doing that wasn't right was a lot of times I had a prayer list because I was told to get a prayer list back then. So I had a prayer list, and on that prayer list I had for um, a certain amount of money, a car, you know, this, better job, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. But, the, but he tells me that if you just simply seek first the kingdom of God and stay in right line, he will provide all those things. Yet I was asking. So it wasn't that I didn't have enough faith to get them. It wasn't that I, that I wasn't praying hard enough. It's that my priorities were off balance. My priority was for things. And it came to a point in my life where God says, you're just using me to get things. And you know what? He was right. I didn't look at God as wonderful. didn't look at him marvelous. No, I was looking at him as a thing getter. Come on, don't we look at him as a thing getter? Come on, God, you'll do this. Look what I did, God, now give me this. Yeah, I was a very good boy. I went to church four times in a row, so now you need to bless me. You need to... God's up there laughing the whole time because that's not it. He wants us to change our priorities in the right direction, and when you do, everything in the kingdom of God is released and flows in that direction for you. So we're going to talk about priorities, I think, next week probably praise God again because it's very important to understand what the priority is and how to do that because once you line up with your priorities and your priority is that I seek first the kingdom of God and God supplies all my needs that's it case done well what if you don't have enough I've only got to have enough why are you going to always have enough because God said I'm going to have enough well how do you know he's going to do it because he said he's going to do it do you think he's a liar what do you think he's doing what kind of father do you think even if my dad told me he'd buy me something I presumed he'd buy it Right? And he didn't have to or whatever, but he's your heavenly father. And he said he knows what you need and he will take care of what you need if you simply trust him. Now, if you don't get off into worry, fear, and stress, once again, and get off into guilt, it's going to affect your physical body. The body of Christ, worry is accepted. We call it care. You're caring. You're so caring for that person. I know. I know. But you're not caring. You're worried. There is something caring, but it's not to worry. You don't want to go along with somebody and help them worry. They don't need help to worry because everybody already knows how to worry. There doesn't have to be a class on worrying. We're very good at it just by doing it. So what we have to do is get in the unworry realm, basically, and trust God. We don't want to act like pagans. We don't want to act like, uh, you know, Gentiles. We want to act like kingdom citizens because everything and everything that we got when we enter the kingdom, it already belongs to us. So he's made that promise. There's no way he cannot supply what we need. There's no way. And not only to supply what you need, he supplies more than what you need. There's a lot of people who tithe, but then they worry. How many know you're just counterdicting what you're doing? Well, I gave 20 bucks, but I shouldn't have because I'm not going to have enough this week now to do this and to do that. And Well, then you better hang on to your money for now and just make it through this week until you get to a place where you're able to give, praise God. And like anything else, you know, salvation is a done deal. We all know we're saved. All at once you'll figure out you're a giver and you, and you won't debate 
whether you're going to give, you won't debate whether you're going to tithe, you write the check, or don't even think about it, you drop it in there, praise God, you're excited about it, everything else. You're not debating whether to. See, when you become someone who's pursuing the kingdom of God, you're not getting up every Sunday morning thinking whether I should or should not go to church. Because I want to pursue the kingdom of God, the first thing that I want to do. So all those things we've conditioned ourselves to do that we didn't do before, and you can condition yourself to the other thing. No more worry in my life. No more bad days in my life, praise God. I'm not going to have any of that stuff anymore. And you can condition yourself to do that, and by doing that, it helps your physical body. It gives you energy. It gives you strength. It gives you peace. It gives you joy. And the anointing of God on the inside of you then strengthens. I love the scripture that says the Holy Ghost will strengthen your mortal body. How many know it's not talking about when you get to heaven? Because you ain't got a mortal body up there. You got one down here. People say, well, he's going to do that when you get to heaven. No, he's not because you ain't going to have a mortal body when you get to heaven. You got it right now. And how many know this needs strengthened? Oh, Lord, this needs strengthened. Yeah, that's right. Praise God. He makes promises that are to us. So don't tithe and worry. Don't tithe and complain about tithing. I mean, people leave the church because they're, they're taught tithing. Well, that's up to you. Praise God. I just know it worketh for me. You know, and something when it worketh for you, it's a lot easier to teach something that's workething for you than something that you never tried. See, changing your identity or anything else, if it's not working for you, certainly don't teach it because you're going to teach it and then you're going to look like a fool when you don't do it, you can come close to doing it, see. So you do whatever you know is on the inside of you. You take your identity and you do it. So sooner or later, basically, the, the world's economy is going to fail again. How many know that? I mean, it, tomorrow, the next day, who knows when everything's going to fall apart again. But as kingdom people, basically, there's going to be no pressure, going to be no problem, because basically no pressure, no problem, no worry, just the kingdom of God. I'm just going to operate in the kingdom of God. I'm going to stay in the kingdom of God. I'm going to expect God to do what he said. I mean, how many of you has worry ever worked for you? How many of you got done after a week and said, my God, I'm glad I worried. Whew, if I wouldn't have worried, who knows what would have happened. Never did, did you? How many of you worried about something that never even happened? Every day. You're worried about stuff that ain't even never going to happen or never going to happen because you think you're a prophet and you're seeing into the future. Well, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, my God. No, you don't. You're just looking and listening to the devil, basically, and something on your life, and it causes you to worry. So we don't want to worry every single day. If you want to do it, say, I'm not worrying today. And then, I'm not worrying today. And then the next day comes, I'm not worrying today. And if you keep doing that for 15 years, then you'll be dead and you won't have to worry anymore, praise God, because you'll be out of here. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. So basically, it's kingdom. In 2009 and 10, when the economy fell, and, you know, it fell a couple other times, basically, and, and pastors quit, and churches were closing doors, and I got a call from a couple of other pastors who said, how you doing in this hard time? I said, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm expecting all these things to be added unto me. But they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, I was going down to, we didn't have any money, they were taking the building, it was going to fall apart, because that's where they were dealing in. But I had the answer. The answer is just do what God tells you to do, and when you do that in your life, praise God, it will work for you. Glory to God. Kenny Copeland back then said one thing that stayed with me forever. He said, I'm going to tell everybody what to do right now in this situation. Don't join the recession. Don't join it. And I thought, God, that's good, you know, because we really choose, don't we, whether to join the recession or not join the recession. And when he said that, I said, that's it. I ain't joining no stupid recession, <laughs> praise God. That ain't going to work for me. So worry, basically, it shuts you off from divine health. It shuts you off from finances. It shuts you off from your peace. It shuts you off from your joy. You have to switch from a complaining, gimme attitude to a giving heart on the inside of you. What will it cause you to do? Shout for joy and favor your righteous cause because God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. Now look at verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sower both ministers bread for your food and will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now, this always got me because I didn't understand what this had to do with fruits, basically, of your righteousness. Well, what it does, basically, is the fruits of righteousness. One of the fruits of righteousness is for you to be a giver. So as you practice giving, it produces fruit because you're in right alignment with God and that fruit will progress in your life as long as you give. It's out of the righteousness that's on the inside of you and keeps you in right alignment with God. Whenever you stay in the right alignment with God, things just work out. 
I mean, it, it, you may run into situations, you may run into circumstances, we're supposed to, but we are supposed to be ruling over situations and circumstances, not falling down and dying in the midst of those things, because we have the Word of God and we have God. So every time you practice joy, you're sowing a seed. Every time you practice peace, you're sowing a seed. Every time you're practicing not having another bad day, you went through another day and you trained yourself a little bit more to do that. What are you doing? You're partaking of the divine nature of God. Where is the divine nature of God? It's on the inside of each and every one of us. And we can partake of it, we can join into it, but we only do it by agreement with the Word of God. So every time I see something in the Word of God, I underline it and I agree with that. I agree with what it says. If it says I'm healed, then I agree with that. If it says I don't have bad days, I agree with it. If it says this is the day the Lord has made, I'm going to rejoice, then every day I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. How many know it's your choice? You can rejoice or you can grumble. You can moan or you can do something else. But basically, we just follow the Word of God. So as you keep worry out of your life, you're going to have better health in your life. It affects your physical body. Your poor physical body just takes the beating for everything. Do you know that? takes together when you worry, when you fear, whatever. It's just hanging there, praise God, hoping that you feed it good stuff in there and get it going in the right direction. It really has no say in the matter because it's just what you live in, praise God. And your spirit wants you to line up because that's where the outflow comes through your soul into your physical body. So we've got no more words. Say my days, my days. Of, worry. of worry. They're over forever. I never worry because my Father knows exactly what I need. I don't worry what I shall eat, what I shall drink, what I shall wear, where I work, where I don't work, how much money I got, how much money I don't got, because my Father takes care of all of my needs. I will not stress out. I will not worry. My days of sickness are over forever. All right, praise God. the key.